Hello, friends and family. A short warning before this episode begins. This one is going to be uh, one of our few but quite explicit episodes. So if you are listening in public or with small children, I would advise you to not do that. Enjoy the show, I guess. Behind closed doors. Out of sight from God. You're never out of sight of God. wonderful day. Guess what I got to eat today? We live in Utah, so we don't have a lot of our southern comforts. Good old hometown Creole Cajun cooking. But we had a shrimp boil today, and oh my goodness, it was like a little taste of Louisiana. I, for one, got super schmammered on some pretendo blueberry moonshine and several beers And I don't know about you, but when I get drunk, I get super horny. Is that a good segue? I guess, I mean, there's no good way to segue into sex. Except with a little foreplay, I guess. Ooh. We're going to talk about contraceptives. Yippee. They're one of my favorite things. We had mentioned in a previous episode that we should cover contraceptives, and what better time than the very next episode? Contraception as you can imagine, has been on human minds since the beginning of sex. And as you can also imagine, we had some feral ways of preventing little Tommy from shooting out into the wonderful existence we call the human condition. I would like to start by saying these things should not be tried at home, just in case there is someone out there who thinks that this is an advice podcast. Also, I know we are talking about medicine this week, and I think it's important to say again that neither of us are doctors or have any authority in medicine or the care of people and their health. Just to cover us. I don't know. They used to call me the doctor of love. <laughs> Who? No one ever called. No, no one's ever called you that. So it's just going to be a fun 45 minutes where we talk about surface research from the internet. With that being said, let's get into it. Many Neolithic and Paleolithic people had no idea where children came from. Some believed that the child's spirit resided in certain fruits, and when you ate that fruit, you became pregnant. No, I think that one's true. Hmm. I've heard that pomegranates, specifically, will absolutely 100% of the time get you pregnant. Pomegranates? Yeah, pomegranates. That's why they tell you to only eat the seeds and not the rest of the fruit, because you'll get pregnant. I think you're not supposed to eat the seeds. I think you're supposed to eat the juicy membrane around the seeds. Well, that's because the seeds will also make you pregnant. I think if any fruit's going to get you pregnant, it would be the banana. That one will only get you pregnant orally. Mouse pregnant. I'm glad we're going over this because it sounds like we need to uh, cover some, some bases. Some believe the elements had something to do with it, meaning the sun, wind, rain, moon, the stars... Which, if you are out under the stars and a particularly chilly wind hits, I can think of a way to stay warm. I'm not saying they were right. I'm just saying if the wind gods wants you to have a baby, they will make it a romantic, chilly night. Now, the funny thing about this is that when you think that contraception is magic, you really don't have much control over it. And you certainly didn't think that abstinence would work. Yeah, so these guys were just like banging and... They had no knowledge of the connection between the banging and the getting pregnant. Supposedly. I don't really know 
how they knew what these people thought. I got this from a Planned Parenthood document that I downloaded. They were just like, hey, I feel compelled to put my wiener in you. That's cool. I I don't know why. Oh, no, you got pregnant? Well, that's G to pomegranate? Fascinating. What What a time to be alive. Centuries ago, Chinese women would consume lead and mercury to prevent pregnancy, which often would lead to sterility and death. Which, if you think about it, both outcomes would prevent pregnancy, so I guess they got what they wanted. One is definitely better than the other, but I'll let you decide which one. There was another option, though. So men thought that every time they ejaculated, they lost some of their yang, which was their masculinity. So to avoid this, they would have sex without ejaculating, which was called coitus reservatus. Actually, I think their theory there is the opposite. Pretty sure the act of doing it produces more testosterone, which would be what they're calling yang. Right, but don't lose the love juices. You gotta keep those in. You gotta preserve your yang. I think you already got the yang by the time the love juices are ready to come out. Somebody should have probably told these guys that they were wrong. The Catholic Church was a big fan of this one too, though, because they thought that the sin of sex came from the pleasure. So as long as there's no intense pleasure, there's no sin. That's true. God can't see you until you spill your love juices. Like, oh... I sense it. Someone has spilled love juices. I must, I must go and look. <laughs> Smell that? <laughs> Smells like fun fluids. That's my impression of God. We need a theme song for going to Egypt because yet again, we will be making the arduous journey to ye, 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 olden times. Ye, ye. I don't know if you knew this, but it takes four yees to get to Egypt. In 1850 BC, They used a mixture of honey, acacia leaves, and lint to make a cervical cap to keep little spermies from getting into the womb. They would even use elephant and crocodile dung. Hmm, we need something to block this passage. What should we use? Uh, Put some poop up there. Righteous. I hope they mixed some honey or something that smelled good in that paste as well. It, It was probably somewhat effective because it was so thick, but wowzers is that gross. Couldn't they put, like, wax or something, man? Ugh, could you imagine, like, getting it in your hands and then the logistics of squeezing it up to... Ugh. I don't like it. Yep, and then you have to go in there after me. Mmm, you feel it poking on a tip. You gotta, like, pick some of it out of the hole when you're done. Oh my gosh, okay. (laughs) That is gross. Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Breastfeeding was a popular choice. Women would breastfeed for up to three years to keep from getting pregnant again. Is that a real thing? Does that work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't thing? work. It doesn't work for everybody, but for most people, it does. Why has anybody told me about this? That's awesome. I like that one. I know people who have memories from being three years old. Imagine how weird it would be if you remembered nursing. Casanova reportedly asked his lovers to put a lemon cut in half in their vaginas. The high levels of acidity probably worked as a good spermicide. Maybe I don't know. It had the added effect of being a barrier, so there's that. Probably wouldn't be that bad unless, God forbid, you had some kind of cut in there. I don't think any of the things I'm about to say work great, but they were desperate, you know. People just wanted to bone down and not have to worry about getting a baby in return. But nothing compared to the silphium plant. Silphium was worth its weight in gold, or more accurately, worth more than its weight in silver. 
and was so effective at preventing pregnancy that we ate it into extinction. So you ate this plant and you didn't get pregnant? Mm-hmm. Is it this is a real thing? Yes. This is documented and mm-hmm. studied? Yes. Wild. Wow, we really screwed up with that one. We finally had something that actually worked. <laughs> the Greeks tried to cultivate it, but it turned out to be impossible to grow unless it planted itself. So they laid some foraging laws down, but the conquering Romans harvested without foresight, and on top of that, Julius Caesar stored 680 kilograms of the plant away for greedy purposes, I'm sure. Its image was printed on coins just to solidify how big of a deal this plant was. That's a lot of plant that he stashed away. (laughs) Julius had lovers, and he needed to get to them all. I can't imagine using that amount i mean that's like at least a lifetime's worth if you're like really boning down although i guess i don't know how much they were eating at a time queen anne's lace was another popular choice and it is still used in india today how much lace did this woman have queen's worth it's a plant oh so there's another one that you can eat wonder how effective it is there's a lot of people in india so it can't be that great <laughs> It wasn't, I don't think it was as as effective as silphium, but it is somewhat effective. One of the most effective methods of birth control that people have had through the ages is coitus interruptus. Sounds very fancy. What's that? Good old-fashioned no bells, no whistles, no fun pull-out method. I like that one. I still use that one. (laughs) Everyone still uses that one. Tried and true. At least at some time or another, I'm sure. Aristotle suggested using natural chemicals like cedar oil, lead ointment, or frankincense oil as a spermicide. You put lead ointment up your coochie? I suppose, I mean, that's what he suggested. I guess they're already rubbing it all over their décolletage, so might as well. The down there décolletage. (laughs) Pliny the Elder had some thoughts. No, Pliny, what did he get up to this time? He just said don't have sex. That is the smartest thing Pliny has ever said. I think it was very wise of Pliny to to make this claim just don't have sex because pregnancy is one of those things that you either are or you're not. Like at the clinic, whenever we would diagnose heartworms, people would be like, how bad is it? We would have to tell them it's it's like a pregnancy test. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You are either pregnant or you're not. So for Pliny to say, hey, just don't have sex... He realized that he couldn't concoct some potion, some poultice. And be like, it will reduce your pregnancy. Because, you know, provably it did not. It was very concrete and you could not get around whether you were or were not. Smart guy, that plenty. The first condoms were upsetting if you don't like the idea of wrapping Cody Jr. in animal or fish bladders or intestines. I'm cool with those. The first rubber condom wasn't produced until 1855, so that was a long haul for sheepskin. Latex wasn't until 1920. Pretty late to the orgy, but whatever. Rubber condoms sound potentially painful. Sometimes you need a little pain with your pleasure. That's why you put the icy hot on there. Now, if you'll notice, we skipped over a lot of time. The Middle Ages particularly was bare of contraceptive ideas. I don't know if it's because there just wasn't anything else to try. They were wrapping, they were pulling, they were blocking. Or if you remember, in the 1300s, there was a pretty devastating plague and we needed people, so the idea of stopping people was kind of silly. 
I mean, I'm sure they still did because it didn't matter the circumstances. People still want to control their bodies. But maybe they were more open to the idea of making people. We lost so many people. Then a wonderful thing happened. In 1827, scientists discovered the female egg. Until now, it was only known that semen had to enter the woman's body. It was the first step in really understanding human reproduction. Dr. Charles Knowlton from Massachusetts invented a birth control solution in 1832 that was injected directly into the uterus. I am not sure if it was effective. I don't like that. I wouldn't trust a doctor from 1832 to inject me with anything, let alone directly into my organ, to possibly prevent something that's not life or death. I don't know. Pregnancy was very dangerous. Lots of women died in labor. I really want to know if it worked. German doctor Frederick Wilde started offering patients small cervical caps in 1838. The Wilde cap was the precursor to the diaphragm, which was very popular among women in the 1930s. I'll bet their cervix looked very stylish in the new cap. In 1843, scientists learned that conception occurs when the sperm enters the female egg. Prior to this, they believed that men created life and women simply gave it a home to grow. Which is true. Don't believe their lies. So you just gave me your fun fluid and that's all I needed. I just had to stick it in here where it's all nice and warm. Yeah, I just need you to hold it for me for nine months. Sponges and spermicidal douches were popular during this time. Sponges were a part of the blockade contraceptive concept. They would put an oil that they thought worked as a good spermicide on the sponge and then shoved it up there next to the cervix. I like 10W30. Douches were the same spermicide concept. They would get a bottle or a contraption with a hose to spray wine or honey or olive oil or vinegar up there after sex. That does not sound like it's good for your natural feminine balance. As it were. Oh, it's not. Anything they thought would kill sperm. Nowadays, people use douching for freshness, but I would think it's going out of fashion. At least I hope. Your vagina is self-cleaning. As long as you wash your crotch regularly with warm water, soap, that is all the freshness you need. Stop squirting things from the drugstore up your meow. So it's 1870. Let's get our list together of the contraceptive options we have. We've got condoms, sponges, douches, diaphragms, and cervical caps. Diaphragms were called womb veils, which I laughed at when I read that and I felt needed to be shared. Womb veils. I think it's a really cool name. We need to reassign it to something else. What if, if you just let your pubic hair grow, we call that the womb veil? I like it. We could probably get that off the ground. Hooked up with this girl last night. She had a nice womb veil going on. So Bush is out, womb veils in. Yeah, buddy. Catherine McCormick was born in 1875. She was very privileged for her time because her father encouraged her to get an education, which was not common in her time. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in biology in 1904. Wowzers. That is classy. She then went on to marry a very wealthy man who was the heir to the International Harvester Company. I would give anything to be heir to the International Harvester Company. That is big money. That big generational money. Two years into their marriage, though, her husband developed schizophrenia, and because she was concerned about passing that on, she vowed to never have children. 
She was in a battle of sorts over the money her in-laws had, but when her husband died, she had $15 million at her disposal. Is that $15 million today dollars or their time dollars? Their time dollars. Holy snap, dude. Big money. What is that today? I need to Google that. $330 million today. This will be important later. But as most educated women, she was very involved with the suffragette movement. She was just overall a great lady. The early 1800s saw very high birth rates in history, with women having an average of seven children. But by the end of the 1800s, this number had dropped to three. All of this innovation and the ability to control reproduction led to the government prohibiting contraceptives in 1873. They were like, oh man, we're not going to have enough people to run all these businesses that I want to frequent and pay them minimum wage. These laws were a part of the Comstock Act. Before the mid-1800s, contraceptives and abortion were legal. Granted, the methods might not have been effective or safe, but they weren't illegal to seek out, at least. This act was wrapped in an understandable package. What I mean by that is the act was to keep people from being able to send porn, or at least that's what I think they meant by obscene, lewd, lascivious, immoral publication through the mail. Now, I think most of us can agree that that was a good idea. I don't think anyone should be sending lewd content through the mail. We can't have little Tommy going to check the mail and getting an eye full of choo-choo cock train railing the tailpipe of a nice lady. They basically outlawed unsolicited dick pics, which is something they still need to work on today. But they didn't stop there. You see, Anthony Comstock was head of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. First of all, what a bogus title. Don't even know what that means. So he shows members of Congress illustrations that he considered obscene and urged legislators to pass laws to prevent crime and the corruption of children. I don't know what these illustrations were of, but they must have been doozies. Remember when I said they didn't stop at the mail? They also made it a misdemeanor to sell, give away, or possess any obscene book, pamphlet, picture, drawing, or advertisement. Now we have crossed a line. I can draw whatever I want, and I can possess whatever book I want. You're trying to take away my girly calendars from my garage. It keeps going, though. The next part is the reason we're even talking about it in this episode. It also included any writing or instruments pertaining to contraception and abortion, even if written by a physician. The tuba is an instrument of contraception. It was officially called an act of the suppression of trade-in and circulation of obscene literature and articles of immoral use. But they didn't define what obscene encompassed, Obviously, it included information about women's bodies and contraceptive care, but I can only imagine what else Anthony considered obscene. Anyway, after Congress passed it, they appointed Anthony as a special agent in the United States Post Office. He enforced the law and arrested people on his definition of obscenity. He arrested a bunch of doctors, too, for circulating information about pregnancy and how to prevent it. The portions of the law relating to birth control were repealed in 1971. I'm pretty sure you still can't send pornographic advertisements through the mail, though, so that's probably good. How am I supposed to know when there's hot single MILFs in my local area? In 1875, scientists definitively conclude that for human fertilization to occur, there must be a union between the egg and the sperm. I don't know why they waited so long to... Well, yeah, I guess this is how it works. I guess we gotta have that egg. So did you know that Lysol wasn't always just a home cleaning product? Oh no. Unless, of course, you call your vagina home. Women used Lysol as douches. The advertisements for it were something, to which I will read one now. 
The headline says, Please, Dave, please don't let me be locked out from you. With a woman standing in front of a door, like pulling on it all desperate-like. This is the ad. A man marries a woman because he loves her. So instead of blaming him if married love begins to cool, she should question herself. Is she truly trying to keep her husband and herself eager, happy married lovers? One most effective way to safeguard her dainty feminine allure is by practicing complete feminine hygiene as provided by vaginal douches with a scientifically correct preparation like Lysol. So easy a way to banish the misgivings that often keep married lovers apart. Lysol has amazing proved power to kill germ life on contact, truly cleanses the vaginal canal even in the presence of mucous matter. Thus, Lysol acts in a way that makeshifts like soap, salt, or soda never can. Appealing daintiness is assured because the very source of objectable odor is eliminated. Use whenever needed. Yet gentle, non-caustic Lysol will not harm delicate tissue. Simple directions give correct douching solution. Many doctors advise their patients to douche regularly with Lysol, just to ensure feminine daintiness alone and to use it as often as necessary, no greasy after-effect. For feminine hygiene, three times more women use Lysol than any other liquid preparation. No other is more reliable. You too can rely on Lysol to help keep your married happiness, keep you desirable. So I have some notes. First, great ad. Loved it. Like how we blamed the woman first. It's a good touch. We don't want to have sex with her because she's stanky. And I think that's it. That's pretty good. I liked it. Feminine hygiene was code for contraceptive and things like germs and odor and terms like that were code for sperm. So maybe fill that in to the, the, the subtext if you read these ads. Because of the Comstock Act, they had to use euphemisms in order to publicize, but the women knew what it meant, even though it was horribly offensive. I would not recommend you use Lysol without wearing gloves, let alone you probably shouldn't spray it in your cooch. Lysol in particular was bad, though. There were lots of advertisements, and they all went something like, we're having marital problems, and it's all my fault because my genital odor that repulses my husband. But now I have Lysol, and he loves me again. Not only was it sexist marketing, but it was an extremely dangerous product. Labels told women that it was gentle and safe, but it absolutely was not. Some women died from it, and a lot of women got extremely irritated genitals and chemical burns from using it so often. But the ad specifically said that it wouldn't do that. Doctors recommended it. Lysol started out as a cleaning agent to help end the cholera epidemic in 1889, and then in 1918, it touted itself as an effective way to fight the flu virus. Then Lysol went off the rails in the 1920s, 30s, and started advertising itself as a douche. I don't know, man. If it's meant for cleaning your counters, maybe don't put it up your mail. So what happened was, uh, cholera went away, and they were desperate for ideas. They saw a need, and they filled it. The, the need was the vagina, and they filled it with toxic chemicals. <laughs> in 1914, a nurse, Margaret Sanger, coins the term birth control. She had a radical journal called The Woman Rebel. In this journal, she instructed women on times when it would be wise to avoid pregnancy, like illness or poverty, 
She didn't give any specific instructions on how to do this, but she still got popped by the New York City postmaster who bans her journal and got indicted under the Comstock law for the term birth control. Instead of standing trial, though, she leaves the U.S. and continues her work in England, which apparently is the home of the free and brave now. She does eventually return to New York and faces trial, and thankfully the charges were dropped. She tried opening a birth control clinic in Brooklyn, but it was only open for 10 days when it was raided and shut down, and the women running it were arrested and all the condoms and diaphragms were confiscated. The postmaster was a wild concept back in the day. It's just like this guy who worked at the post office, but like he was a secret agent and policed the entire country. I went on a tour once of an old post office that was like the postmaster general quarters, and it was wild. If you're ever unfortunate enough to find yourself in Newport, Arkansas, check out Postmaster Spirits. They are a distillery and a bar, and it's built into this old post office and Postmaster General place, and uh, they'll give you a tour if you're nice. Cool. By 1923, she got to open her first legal birth control clinic in the U.S. She was only allowed to administer it to women for medical purposes, like preventing life-threatening pregnancy, but it was a good start. This facility would go on to become Planned Parenthood and the mother of the next big break in birth control, the pill. So in the 1950s, Margaret Sanger meets this biologist, Gregory Pincus, and she tells him of her dream where women can take a pill and bang as much as they want without the repercussions of pregnancy. To her surprise, he tells her that he believes her dream could be a reality with hormones, but that he would need significant funding, and you know who had a lot of money and a willing heart? Jeffrey Bezoslovich? No, Catherine McCormick. Who's that? The lady that married into all that money. Oh. She wrote a check for 40000 one of many checks she wrote. She nearly donated all of the money for the research and development for the oral contraceptive. I think that it's fair to say that without the generosity of Catherine, we would not have had the pill as soon as we did. Gregory Pincus then gets connected with another biologist, John Rock, who had been working on this idea as well. They got to work changing the future. Pincus is a funny name. Let's not dwell. The logistics of getting this thing properly tested was difficult because of the laws in place, but by the 1950s, they had the magic pill they were looking for and the backing of the FDA. But it was marketed for women with menstrual disorders because blatant birth control was still illegal, as you can imagine. An extraordinary amount of women got diagnosed with menstrual disorders. Your menstruation's looking a little disorderly yourself. In 1965, there was a landmark Supreme Court case, Griswold v. Connecticut, which overturned the ban on contraceptives for married couples. We finally decided that what married people do with their bodies was no one's business except for the people within that relationship. Greg and Norma could get it as much as they liked. Don't worry, though, it only took us seven years to extend that courtesy to unmarried people as well in 1972. Heathens is what we called them. With this new freedom to research contraceptives, new and exciting products came out like the vaginal ring, IUDs, patches, injections. The United States is finally able to do the no-pants dance without concern of the future. The horizontal monster mash. The sticky licky. Ooh, don't like that one. I mean, that one's alright. You'd like it. But you don't need birth control for that one. (laughs) (laughs) 
May we all bow our head in remembrance of everyone that came before us with their lemons, their crocodile poop, animal skins, and bladder condoms. We salute you. I used to know this girl who took her birth control, and I don't know if you know this, but you have to take it every day, and for the week that you're supposed to have your period, it's just sugar pills. It doesn't actually, there's nothing, it's just to help keep you on track. I didn't know that. And she would skip her sugar pills and go to the next pack so that she wouldn't have her period. Maybe don't do that. That can't be healthy, right? I mean, she's fine, but she probably needs to have a period every once in a while, right? I don't know. Seems important. Take your drugs as directed. Thank you so much for listening to this naughty history of a mundane thing. Uh, I have been Ben. And I'm Danielle. Don't forget to grab a goose and then use it as a condom. Thanks for listening. Now, go! Oh,